So, I know we're only supposed to boast and brag about the Lord. But for a second, I'm going to brag about me. Is that okay? <laughs> yesterday, I'll just let you know as we progress through this sermon. Uh, yesterday, I ran a marathon, so I'm really sore. <laughs> um, so I'm going to try and be my usual dynamic self. Um, but if eventually I fall down, you just keep listening. But <laughs> thank you for those of you who were cheering me on, the text, the honking of the horn when you saw me run by, running with me, those are the students who ran with me, some of you adults who ran with me. Um, we all know that I'm not the best at math, um, so I accidentally ran an extra whole mile, so <laughs> more than I had to, so I am I'm really sore. <laughs> but today we are starting in a new series called Living in Color. And this is a question I want to pose for you. You maybe have seen these in videos like Man on the Street videos. But have you ever been asked the question, if you could choose to spend a day with anyone, dead or alive, who would you choose? There's so many great answers to that question. I mean, obviously, most of us would pick Taylor Swift, right? I mean, her new album, she's on tour. I want to know all the juicy tea. Like, I want to know it all. Maybe for some people, it's Elvis Presley. Maybe for some, it's Abe Lincoln. Maybe for some, it's Robin Williams. But I bet for a lot of us in this room, if we had the chance to be able to say, who could we spend a whole day with? I think a lot of us would say Jesus. Think about it. You have a chance to sit and talk with the Son of God. What would he say about heaven? What would he say about our, our questions about our, our marriages and our friendships and how to relate to him? And are we doing this whole church thing right? To be able to sit and talk with Jesus would be literally the most amazing thing in our lives. Because if we were being honest, I'm jumping right into it this morning. Doesn't it sometimes feel like it's hard to follow someone that we can't see? Think about it. I, I do youth ministry for a living, and I'm always telling people, you got to follow Jesus. And one of the first questions that happens is, how can I follow someone that I can't see? And it doesn't change as adults, it doesn't change as we get older. You still can't see him. And sometimes I wrestle with that. That it's really difficult to follow Jesus or be a Christian when I actually can't talk to him and hear his answer so clearly. And as I'm reading scripture, I can't help but always get a little jealous of the disciples. Sure, they were this ragtag group of guys who seemed like they just couldn't understand what Jesus was ever talking about. And they seemingly made every wrong decision. But they grew in their faith, and they got to spend time with Jesus. So just for a second, could you just sit and imagine what that would be like? To sit and talk to Jesus? Whether you're sitting at his feet, or maybe you're having coffee with him, or whatever you kind of picture in your mind, sitting on a bench or a swing, kind of going like, this is what I think I'd say, and this is what I think he'd answer. I feel like we wouldn't want to waste a moment some of us who've been following Jesus for a very long time, we crave this. We desire it more than anything, to have that, that intimate conversation. And some of us who don't follow but are desperately trying to figure out our faith, we would love this opportunity to finally sit and talk with this so-called Son of God and sit at his feet, just like those disciples, just like those 12 men who followed Jesus for over three years. How many of us just long for that connection to sit and talk with Jesus? To have him standing before us, able to answer those tough questions we wrestle with in the middle of the night. 
where we could ask him, hey, what's your desire for me? What's your plan for me? What college am I supposed to go to? How am I supposed to live? Am I really supposed to marry this person? What do I do when my marriage is failing? And you would ask these questions. What about heaven? What about hell? What do you want me to do? I've always been a fan of the disciples. I think they get a seemingly bad reputation because they ask seemingly easy or obvious questions. Like when Jesus feeds the 5,000 people with the five fish and the two loaves of bread, and he says, uh, and then next time a similar situation happens, and the disciples are sitting there going, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed the people? And Jesus is like, didn't we already do this like a week ago? Or when they ask Jesus, hey, which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? But Jesus took this group of nobodies and chose them to spend all his time with. And Pastor Jimmy talked about this a little last week, where the disciples who followed Jesus, they failed Hebrew school. These guys were made up of the afterthoughts, the sinners, the tax collectors. But then God, Jesus, chooses them, these 12 ordinary guys, to do something extraordinary. Think of all they saw and heard about. They saw the Spirit descend like a dove, and the heavens open, and the voice of heaven declare that Jesus is God's Son. They saw Jesus stand up to the religious leaders of the day and, and question them and question their authority. He, they saw over 5,000 people get fed with a kid's lunch and on more than one occasion. They saw Jesus walk on water. They saw Peter get to walk on water because Jesus called him out to the water with him. They saw the lame walk. They saw the blind receive their sight. They saw the dead rise again. Just one of those things alone would be unforgettable and amazing, and we would read about it in articles. It would be on the news today, and we couldn't stop sharing it. Then what do you think they thought after all of this? The one they gave up everything for. The one they trusted. The one they saw perform the miracles. The one they love tells them he has to leave them. In the book of John, in chapter 14... Jesus is having this dinner with his disciples. It's his last dinner before his betrayal, his crucifixion, and his death. It was really his last supper. And as Jesus is sitting with the disciples, he drops this bomb on them. Read this. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would have I told you that I go to repair a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Jesus tells them he's leaving. He's going away. He's going to go prepare a place for them. And then if he goes he, and prepares this place, he promises that he'll come back to them and take them where he's going. And somehow they know where he's going. That's a whole lot to think about over dinner, right? And then Thomas says something you're probably all thinking. In verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? We have no idea where you're going. How can we know the way if we don't know where you're going? This is one of the reasons I love the Bible. It's just real. And Thomas didn't just smile and nod and go, okay, God, that sounds great. He didn't just blindly agree. He heard what Jesus said and had a valid response. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus doesn't reprimand him for his question. Instead, he responds kindly to him in verse 6. He says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you had known me, you have known my father also. For now on, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus responded that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Amen? And if the disciples were confused before Thomas's question, I can just imagine they're all scratching their heads right about now saying, wait, you're leaving and somehow we're going to know the way? Why are you leaving? Then he throws in this idea that if you know Jesus, somehow you know the Father, God, and you've seen him. This is a lot to wrestle with. This, oddly enough, stick with me here, reminds me of a movie called The Christmas Story. You guys know the one with Ralphie and the Red Ryder BB gun? In the movie, there's this like side plot where he waits weeks on end to receive this decoder ring, and once he gets it, he has to turn into a radio station to hear the letters at the very end of this show called Little Orphan Annie. Then he hears these letters, and he decodes the message, and ends up being, does anyone know what it was? Drink more Ovaltine. All this waiting, and he's waiting for weeks with this decoder ring, and he turns to this radio station, and all of a sudden, it's drink more Ovaltine. But I remember watching that and thinking, that's so cool. There was a message on the radio, and he could, like, interact with it. And I'm like, this is awesome. And my dad would then tell me how people used to hear shows and stories before TV on the radio. They would gather around the radio, and they would tune into a station to hear the stories, to listen to music and talk shows. And I thought, eh, actually, that doesn't sound that cool. That actually sounds a little boring. That sounds terrible, Dad. Don't ever get rid of our TV. People would just listen to the radio, but for them, it wasn't boring. It was amazing. This was completely normal for Americans from the mid-1930s all the way to the 1950s until the black-and-white TV became so popular and accessible. Because now you can see what you're listening to. When the, when the TV came out, you could now see the stories. You got to see this black and white fuzzy image and would freak out. We can now see the picture. And I know this might sound a little weird to be talking about with Jesus and his Last Supper, but this is important, so stick with me. But I think this revolutionary transition from radio programs to black and white TV is similar how the teachings of the Bible can feel. When we think about the Old Testament, it was like listening to the radio. When I think about the law and I think about the prophets, the people would gather around to hear what they had to say. They would hear God through these prophets and through the law, like turning into a radio station to listen to the stories, to listen to what the, the, the host had to say. And so we would gather around the Old Testament, the people would gather around to hear what God had to say through a prophet. And then Jesus takes these teachings and lives them out right in front of them. And he's now telling the disciples, telling his followers, I'm not just the voice of God. I am God. And that the Father and I are one. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus just gave them the picture. Jesus gave them the image of the invisible God. TV, yeah, changed the world for Americans as they knew it. But Jesus changed everything for everyone when it came to talking and thinking and seeing God. They got the picture of God. And now, not only are they hearing it, but they get to see and experience. Are you with me? How amazing is this? Now think about what Jesus said to his disciples over dinner. But now I'm going away. 
I completely understand Thomas's questions. Why? We finally got the picture. We finally see the image of who God is. I don't want to go back to radio. I don't want to go back to what it was where I had to question everything and I couldn't just directly ask you and you would answer. And yeah, maybe I had the wrong answer, but then you would guide me to the truth. A little further down in the passage, Jesus then in verse 15 gives them the reason why he's leaving. And with it, he gives them a promise. He says this, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Right? He's saying he's going to go, but when he goes, he's going to go ask the Father to send another one, to send another advocate. That word advocate can be translated as helper, counselor, comforter. And Jesus is telling them he's going to send someone who will never leave them, who's going to be with them forever. And then in verse 17, he reveals who? He says, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth, and the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and does not recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Jesus says if he goes, if he goes to prepare a place, if he goes to the Father, he will send the Holy Spirit. Right? I think the Holy Spirit is talked about often in church, yet understood the least. We, we can kind of wrap our minds around God the Father. We can kind of wrap our minds around Jesus. But the Holy Spirit can kind of weird us out a little bit. The Holy Spirit, people can get kind of scared of. They're like, okay, I, I know you're important, but what role do you actually play in my life? Are you a feeling, a force, an emotional moment when the band starts to well up in the song? If I try to acknowledge you, am I going to start freaking out and running around the room speaking in gibberish? Is he a chaotic force pushing me to embarrass myself? Can we see him? How important is he? I think most people who believe in Jesus and have chosen to follow him would agree that the Holy Spirit is important, right? We would say we believe in the Holy Spirit, but I would argue that we have neglected and ignored him in many ways in the church today. That we talk about God and we talk about Jesus and it can seem like the Holy Spirit is more a passing note rather than the main topic of discussion. But Jesus has prepared his disciples to believe in him and continues to stress that he is going, but he will send the Holy Spirit. Watch how he explains this to them in verse 23. Jesus replied, All who love me, will do what I say. My Father will love them and will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. And I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything. And he will remind you of everything I have told you. Jesus is trying to explain to us, you have to understand this. I'm leaving. You have to understand that you have to obey me. That following Jesus is more than just saying, I acknowledge that he was a person in history. I acknowledge that maybe he's the son of God. It's saying that we're going to acknowledge who he is and his existence and his authority, but we're also going to obey what he said. And 
You have to rely on the Holy Spirit, who will teach you everything. Notice Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit as a he. That he's actually using a pronoun here, using he. That Jesus is saying he will teach us and he will remind us and he will guide us. The Holy Spirit is a person. He isn't a force like Star Wars that can be manipulated for good or evil. He isn't magic. It isn't positive thinking. It's not manifesting something. He, the Holy Spirit, is a person. And that person is God. But what gets me the most, what really made me begin to ask some questions when it came to the Holy Spirit, what really made me think about who the Holy Spirit is, was what Jesus says about him later at the same dinner. Just two chapters later, in chapter 16, and remember, this is his last meal with his friends. He says this in John 16, verse 5. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking me where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I told you. Jesus actually sounds kind of annoyed here. You're, you're more concerned that I'm going and you don't know how the way to get there, but you never asked about where I'm going. You don't care about where I'm going. You're not asking the right questions still. I've been with you all this time, and you're still asking the wrong questions. Don't you want to know where I'm going, not just how to get there? Instead, you're so focused on being sad and grieved that I told you that I'm leaving. I mean, I don't get it. For me, this is a big deal. You're everything to us. And you're leaving, and you're a little annoyed at me because I'm sad about that? But he goes on to say this in verse 7. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away? Do we realize what this means? Jesus is saying it's better for you that I leave so the advocate, the comforter, the Holy Spirit will come. It's better that Jesus leaves Really? It's, it's better? Jesus is having this, this last meal with his friends, his disciples. He's preparing them ultimately for his death and his resurrection. And he's actually saying to them, it's better that he leaves them. The one who's guided them, the one who's taught them, the one who's challenged them, the one who's forgave them, the one who's loved them. And he's saying this for us too. It's best for us if he leaves do you see the level of importance that Jesus brought to the Holy Spirit? When I look at this, I always thought, ah, if I could just have a moment with Jesus, life would be amazing. My faith would change forever. But Jesus is saying it's actually better that the Holy Spirit comes, and that we would need him, and that would be the best. Because if he goes, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And like he said in chapter 14, he will live in us. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. The Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. And isn't that what the world is after? Truth? We debate about it all the time. Is this the truth or is truth relative? Jesus is saying people are looking for truth, but they won't find it because they're looking for truth without Jesus, who is the truth. But those who know Jesus will find it, and the spirit of truth will dwell within us. 
I don't understand how it works. I don't know if I'll ever be able to have the right words to articulate this. But right now, for those who believe in Jesus and his teachings and his death and his resurrection, he says he will send his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Another follower of Jesus named Paul says it this way in a letter to the church of Galatia. He says, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. And just to explain that for a second, it says that God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and he's prompting us to call Abba Father. That's, I need you to understand the intimacy of this moment. Paul is saying that God has sent the Holy Spirit, the, the spirit of his son into our hearts and because we have the spirit of God dwelling within us, we want to look at God and say Abba Father. Right, that word Abba is not translated just like father. It's actually like when a child puts their arms up and says Daddy. That's what he's saying you can say to him. That, Dad, I need you, and you are the Father, and you are God, and somehow I've become your child. And in another letter to the church in Corinth, he writes, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Paul is saying that right now, I'm me. But somehow, Jesus says his very spirit, the Holy Spirit, is dwelling inside me right now. That as I'm standing before you speaking, yes, I am will. But somehow, and I can't articulate it, the spirit of God is living inside me. And he's desi his desire is to guide me into all truth. And more than listening to a radio pro uh, program, more than a fuzzy black and white picture, Jesus gives me his spirit to guide me and gives me a clear picture of who he is and directs me into where I need to go. And Jesus is saying, this is better. Think about that for a second. All the people of the Old Testament heard from the spirit. Abraham saw God be faithful to his promises. Jacob, Joseph, Daniel saw amazing dreams. Moses parted the Red Sea and talked to God like a friend. David was known as a man after God's own heart. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. All of the prophets heard from God. And the Spirit would fill each of them. And the Spirit would guide them. But the difference is the Spirit did not dwell in them. It wasn't permanent. It was momentary. And while we read these Old Testament stories and think, wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't that be the goal? If I could just experience God like they did, then my faith would change. But I have to think, maybe we have it backwards. Instead of us looking back in jealousy to the prophets, into Moses who got to see these amazing miracles and the seas part, I think if they knew what Jesus promised his disciples, they would be more jealous of us. We look at these amazing stories and say, God did what? You did what through these people? But they would look at us today and think, wait, God dwells within you? That the very spirit of God is guiding the believer? 
and dwells in them and lives in their hearts and changes them from the inside out. It would be like someone who listened to the radio hearing someone describe what TV is like. Like, what would that look like? What would that be like? You get to see a moving picture. You get to have God guiding you personally and dwelling in you and not in the temple. That you just don't have to go to church on Sunday to experience the love of God, but you're saying everywhere you go, the God of the universe is somehow dwelling inside you, guiding you to all truth, and saying you can call him father, that you can call him dad, and you can be called a children, a child of God, and you can say, man, I can worship you wherever I am. In the Old Testament, they used to, they used to have to go to the temple, and there used to be these priests, and they had to do these sacrifices, and I can just go and say, God, I need you, and he's like, I'm here, and I'm guiding you. Do you see the importance of the Holy Spirit and that it's better this way? And as I'm reading these passages over the past few years, and more so in the past few months, I have sat and I have gotten so lost in thought and prayed and read scripture and read books upon books on the Holy Spirit. And I'm sitting back and asking questions like, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, when it comes to the church, is there more? Is there more to this? If Jesus is saying it's better that he goes so the Holy Spirit can come, is there meant to be more to what we're doing? That the Holy Spirit dwells within us, but he doesn't just live in us and that's it. He's not just taking up room and board and keeping silent. But look how Jesus describes him. He says, and when he comes, and this is referring to the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and God's righteousness and upcoming judgment. And the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will, become, judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. And then he says this, there is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And this is why I said, the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. That when the Holy Spirit talks to us, he's not just speaking on his own, but he, in this, in this triune God, can't articulate kind of model, he's saying when the Holy Spirit guides you, it's Jesus guiding you, and it's God guiding you. That the Holy Spirit is actually, literally going to guide us. But when we look at our churches, and look at our lives today, are we really able to say we are being led by the Holy Spirit? Or are we being led by our, by our own desires? Are we doing life in our own strength? When people talk about church, I'll be honest, it's really not that complicated. Just get a few people together, organize a couple of songs, maybe have some announcements to let people know what's going on this month. Talk a little bit on who God is, make sure we all greet one another, and then go home until next week. For youth group, just play a couple of games, be dynamic, hype, do some songs, throw a couple retreats in through the year, and bam, you got yourself a youth group. And all of these things are not bad. They're not wrong. They're not against scripture. They're resources to use to our advantage. But let me tell you the truth. These things will not bring real life change. That is something that will 
not last forever. Eventually, you'll get bored by these things. Without the Holy Spirit, it will always be like radio programs or black and white television. And I'm sure, yes, we can grow our ministries if we continue to invest in those kinds of things, get better lights, get better TVs, get bigger rooms. We'll grow in size. But people are already doing that with other businesses, other gatherings. We're not looking to do that. When you are thinking of the church, thinking of being here in the gathering of people, do you ever just think, is this it? Is there more? Couldn't we, if, if we gave everybody a mic and really began to discuss some of this, come to the realization that maybe there's something missing in churches today? And it feels like we, we can't put our finger on it. We can look at other churches and say, hey, well, they're doing worship, we're doing worship. Or, hey, we got a speaker, they got a speaker. We got fellowship, they got small groups. Okay, let's do that. And we still feel like something's missing. Is it the Holy Spirit? Jesus says it's better that he goes because the Holy Spirit can come and live in us. And he will guide us and convict us and comfort us. And he will come in power. And if Jesus is really saying that it's better that he's with us, and the Holy Spirit lives in us, do our lives reflect that then? And this isn't me talking to you. This is me talking to all of us. Do our lives reflect that the Holy Spirit dwells within us? That we were meant to truly rely on the Holy Spirit for all things, for all truth, to guide us and teach us about everything. We read in Acts how the church was built and how it stood its ground. It was all through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I think so many people, not all, but many, who have put their faith in Jesus and are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, never learn to continually listen to his guidance. If the Holy Spirit really dwells within us, do the people around us, outside the church, see a difference in us? Do they see something about our lives that has changed? When we look at our own lives, do we see a difference from when we didn't believe in Jesus to when we started? That the moment we put our faith in Jesus, he put his very spirit in us that raised him from the dead and that spirit dwells within our hearts. If we were to take a moment, if you were to take a moment and ask yourself, when was the last time I undeniably saw the Holy Spirit move in my life. Think about that. When was the last time you asked yourself this question? When was the last time I undeniably, I couldn't argue it, I undeniably saw the Holy Spirit move in my life? How would you answer that? When was the last time you really heard from the Holy Spirit? Do I even know what his voice sounds like? It seems like we can have the Holy Spirit, and we can have knowledge of him, but we can seriously lack a relationship with him. I think many of us would agree, we want to hear from God. We're desperate to hear from God. And it can feel like, okay, once I hear from God, then I will act. Then I will follow. Then I'll know what to do. But again, I'm going to argue, I think we have it backwards. This is just living in black and white. See, Jesus said in this whole discussion of him leaving that those who love him will obey his commandments. That we show our love for him in obedience. All the while, a lot of us are just waiting for some direction. 
what do I do here? What do I do in this situation? Or what's my calling in life? Maybe, though, instead of waiting for him to speak and then moving, maybe we're supposed to move in obedience to what he's already asked of us, and then we will hear him speak. We don't need the Holy Spirit to gather here on a Sunday morning and just do the American church thing, right? I don't need the Holy Spirit to rent out the school, open the doors, and for people to come. But we do need him to accomplish the work that he set before us, which is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That we need him to guide us and be the actual body of Christ. I love that one of the names for the Holy Spirit is helper or comforter. And I heard this quote years ago, and it stuck with me. You've probably heard me say it before. But we don't need a comforter if we are living comfortably. We don't need a comforter if we're living comfortably. We have to look at our lives and examine ourselves. Have we made our faith comfortable? That we can boil it down to a couple of hours on a Sunday. That we can get together in a small group and, and, and read this book and, and have discussions about it and then do nothing with it. And then we wait till next week and we come back and we just discuss it again. Because let's be real, we're discussing the same, thing, same themes often, aren't we? I mean, how much can we really change week after week? We're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about our need for him. We're going to talk about his love for us. We're going to talk about Jesus. That's basically it. And you know, even when we're soaping the Bible, inevitably we're going to finish it. And you know what we're going to do? We're not going to pick another book. We're going to start over. Worship will begin some weeks, and we're thinking, oh, they're singing that song again. Didn't they just sing that last week? How many times can they sing Reckless Love? It's overplayed. It's not my style. I understand this. I feel the same things. It can feel so monochrome. It's like watching everything in black and white. This is a monochrome experience. We still have the show. We still can experience the movie. And it's good. It's good. I'm not saying it's not good. But could it be more? What if I told you faith doesn't have to be monochrome? It doesn't have to be just living life in black and white, but it can be something vibrant and colorful and wonderful. That we can live a life that's incredibly beautiful, led by the Holy Spirit, who will bring us real joy unimaginable. That there is more. And instead of living life in black and white, monotone states, we can live in 4K full color. It's not something we can create. It's not a space or location or a time. It's the Holy Spirit and allowing him to move within us. And instead of the Holy Spirit being someone we just add in a song or just a passing conversation or idea, what if we as a church really sat and said, we're going to learn to listen to his voice? That the more we lean on him, the more we start to see in color. And we sit back in amazement. And we'll say, that was undeniably. This reminds me of a video of a man named William Reed. I don't know if you know him, but he's a 66-year-old bodybuilder who's colorblind. And for his birthday, his family gave him a pair of glasses that allowed him to see in color. So check out this video real fast. How does it look? Oh, that's weird. Look at the balloons. <laughs> Can you see with our eyes now, baby? Can you, what colors you see? Those. You see colors now? 
Now you have rose-colored glasses, baby. Now you see with our eyes. Do you like the balloons? Turn around, what about the flowers on the house? <laughs> oh my goodness. It doesn't look like mud. <laughs> it looks like brighter mud. <laughs> he lived life perfectly fine. He didn't know any better. And sure, life seemed muted and bland to the eye, but he wasn't really missing anything. Then all of a sudden, someone gives him a pair of glasses that would enable him to see color. And it came in this box with glasses and a few different color balloons. And then once he put on the glasses, and when he saw just a balloon, now it had color to it. There are so many more videos like this, and they all have these amazing, they're all amazing because you see them, you see these people begin to get emotional and begin to sob or jump up and down in excitement over a balloon. Because now the balloon is something beautiful, something vibrant and full of color. The Holy Spirit can take what is good and make it beautiful and powerful and joyous. And I think really we have to begin to listen and have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He makes scripture come alive. He makes scripture meaningful. He takes those overplayed songs and gives them meaning every single time. When we gather, it isn't just about another thing to do, but something we get to do, something we can't wait for, that when we're relying on the Holy Spirit, it's not like, I gotta get to church on Sunday if I have time, but we wake up and say, I get to go sing to a holy God with other people who have the Holy Spirit dwelling up with inside them. It's something I can't wait for. You mean I get to experience communion and remember what Jesus did for me because what he did for me allowed the Holy Spirit to come and live in me. To others, it can be just a balloon. But it could be seeing a balloon in amazing color. To some people, it sings like we come in here and just sing this weird karaoke and talk about a God we can't see. But we know that he's real. And that he hears us. This will require all of us to get out of our comfort zone. It can't just be a few of us. It can't just be the worship team going, okay, well, we know we're singing to God. It can't just be Pastor Jimmy saying, well, I know these words have life in them. It can't just be a few of us saying, okay, I'll sing to him. If we really understand that when we gather, it's about Jesus, imagine if we as a church began to really listen to the Holy Spirit collectively. Jesus says that he's our helper, that he will guide us, that he will teach us. We can stay in this monochrome faith, and I'm telling you, it'll be fine. Your salvation's not at risk. 
You're not going to lose heaven if you just go through life in black and white. It's good. But is it best? Jesus says it's better to have the Holy Spirit and he will teach us and show us everything. If we stay comfortable, and I mean this, church, if we stay comfortable, we won't need anyone to guide us or teach us because we can continue to do what we're already doing. It's fine. We know how to do it. When we make decisions to be followers of Jesus and to follow his commands, then we will see the Holy Spirit begin to move and guide us step by step forward in our faith towards Jesus. Where are the places where you need to take your next step and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you? Maybe it's telling that friend about Jesus. Because we can get, especially with evangelism and especially talking about our faith, we can get nervous. I get it. And you go, you go I don't know what I'm going to say. I can't convince them to follow. You're not, your job is never to convince anyone to become a follower of Jesus. Your job is just to speak about who Jesus is. And the Holy Spirit will then give you the words. What if instead of coming up with a four-point plan on how to tell my friend about Jesus, you just said, hey, I'm going to tell my friend about Jesus. Holy Spirit, I hope you show up and you walk and you just hope that he's going to say the things you need. That's relying on the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's forgiving that person who wronged you and you begin to trust the Holy Spirit to soften your heart to be able to forgive. Maybe it's trusting the Holy Spirit to give you the confidence and the boldness to go to that person you wronged and ask for forgiveness. Maybe he's calling you to use your money differently. That instead of saving all of it and, or, or spending all of it on things you want but don't need, he's calling you to give generously. We, we can be so afraid that God will one day say, well, I need you to sell everything you have and give it to orphans and widows. Tend to them. But what if he does? What if maybe today one of, one, someone in this room hears, sell everything and give it to the poor? It's okay. Because Jesus says it's better. It's better to be with him. To tend to orphans and widows and to help teach those who are younger than you. Maybe the Holy Spirit's calling on you right now to be like, hey, I, I've been living in my box of faith, but I know there's, there's teens coming up behind me. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe one day I'll pass the baton to them of faith. No, but what instead of we treated them like the people who are coming next? We treated teenagers and young people like the reinforcements that are going to make the war, the battle easier as we all go to God together being with the Holy Spirit. I don't know what your next step is. I can't sit here and talk to each one of you and say, well, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do this. Because if I did that, I'm sure I'd get it wrong. But let me tell you this. The Holy Spirit does know your next step. The more we lean into obedience, the more we rely on the Holy Spirit, the more you will hear him. And you'll live life in color. And you'll be able to recognize his voice. That when you're in that moment, and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. You will hear that whisper. I love how Rob Reamer puts it in his book, River Dwellers. He says, practicing the presence of God is learning to become more attentive to your spiritual senses. If you were walking outside in the woods, there would be animals and birds all around you. You may not be aware of them. You may not be able to tell the different sounds that each bird makes. You may pass by a bird and not even register its song. 
But if you began to study the birds in your area and became a student of their habits, behaviors, and sounds, suddenly you'd be very aware of the birds around you. You would hear the different bird calls. You would know what to look for and what to listen for and how to pay attention. Nothing in the woods has changed. The woods are the same as they were before, but you have changed. And you become attentive to the reality of the birds in the woods. It's the same way with the Holy Spirit. If he really is God, and he really does dwell within us, it's better that we have him than the physical Jesus standing in front of us. What would it look like if we began to study him and his habits and learn to listen to his voice? As Colin comes up to lead us into music, over the next two weeks... Let's get out of our comfort zone. Let's get out of our comfort zones and and learn to listen to his voice. Learn to rely on him and learn to take steps of living a beautiful, colorful life. And actually allowing him to teach us, which is what Jesus was really trying to teach his disciples. That this is the best at the Last Supper. After this dinner, Jesus does, in fact, go to the cross, dies, and is buried. And he does rise again on the third day. Amen? In John 20, the disciples are in this upper room, and the doors are locked, and Jesus suddenly appears to them. And imagine their excitement and confusion, maybe. Jesus, who died, is now alive and with them. But watch what happens. It says, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And look at this. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus kept his promise. They received the Holy Spirit in that moment. They saw that he is God. They saw that he died, and they saw that he rose again, and they believed. And upon their confession of faith and belief in him, they are now indwelling with the Holy Spirit. This morning, you can have him dwelling within you. When you put your faith in Jesus, his spirit lives within you. Let us begin to explore together what it means to have the Holy Spirit and rely on him. What is your next step to where do you need guidance? Where do you need help? Where do you need comfort? Some of us have been living life like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, in this monochrome reality that this is just how things are. But remember when the movie switches to this amazing, vibrant, technicolor scene filled with wonder? That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's time to step into color, but this time it won't be a dream. This will be reality. If you are someone who's neglected the Holy Spirit, I encourage you as we get ready for communion that you just sit and take a moment and pray to him. Repent and say, I want to hear your voice. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you don't have the indwelling spirit. He's not guiding you, but he can Take a moment to pray to Jesus and confess that he is Lord who died and rose again and is preparing a place for you. This morning, I don't want to lead you in a prayer of salvation because I think it will be more powerful if you yourself took a moment to say, God, I need you. I believe in who you are and I want your Holy Spirit. But today, if you do need prayer, after service, I'll be at the prayer area. 
Let me encourage you, do not leave here without getting prayed for. There's power in it. And we'll talk about that over the next few weeks as we provide opportunities for you to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. The next few services will be a little bit more interactive. Don't let that scare you. But let it encourage you and challenge you to lean into the Holy Spirit. Let us be a church that lives life in color. Let us be a church that from this moment is saying we're going to look, listen, and rely on the Holy Spirit. You see that the table is set before you to take communion, to remember that Jesus did come in the flesh, die, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us, and that he rose again. And that we do this in remembrance of him. So I encourage you, as Colin sings a little bit, come up to the tables, get the gluten-free version, or, or break the cracker, dip it into the juice, and take it back to your seat, and take a moment to pray. Take a moment to listen, as Colin sings over us, that we want his presence. We want to hear him. And we want him to guide us. And I'll come up and pray, and we'll take communion together. The table is open. Thank you.